Awoga, this is a dwarf cast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the last live Ganymede and Titan Dwarfcast of 2016. I would be sad about this, but I've had all of my emotions removed due to reasons. Uh, nevertheless, <laughs> we're here to discuss all things Can of Worms over the next 90 minutes or so, as well as recapping the recent revelation about the opening theme tune, and taking a little look back at the series as one glorious whole. I'm Ian Symes, and I'm joined once again by a full complement of G&Ts, namely John Hoare. Hello there. Tanya Jones, hello. A piglet with the voice of Jonathan Caps, hi. And a hedgehog with the voice of Danny Stevenson, ah, hello. And making a mockery out of the word guest as she makes her sixth consecutive appearance, the fan club's Joe Sharples. Oh hi. If you're listening live, then why not open up your own personal can of worms by joining in the discussion? The easiest way to get your messages to us is by commenting on the Spreaker page, but you can also tweet us at Ganymede Titan, or if you're willing to take the gamble that I'll finally remember to check it during the show for the first and last time this series, <laughs> you can leave a comment on the Let's Talk About Can of Worms on Dave thread on www.ganymede.tv. But first, let's shoot some uh, let's shoot some opinion-based eggs right down your earpipes as we detail our briefest of brief thoughts on the episode, starting with Tanya Jones. Oh God! Um, <laughs> some some good lines in search of a plot. Nice. That was a good brief thought, uh, John. That was less good, <laughs> but I still enjoyed it. Uh, Capsy. I, I struggle. I think uh, Tanya's summary was definitely the best. I think <laughs> just falling apart. Yeah, I made the mistake of going to Tanya first because she's better than most of us. Uh, but, uh, Danny. Danny doesn't even care. Danny. Didn't hear you. Oh. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, too many ideas, too many things thrown in. It was the bits that were there could have been great if they were longer. Um, but yeah, too much, too much in the, too much in the melting pot. Um, explore any of the ideas. Things yeah. in there as well, but it's a shame that they're in this episode. And Joe. Um. Yeah. Pretty much the same as everyone else is saying, really. There were some really good ideas in there that have been just fucking wasted, frankly. Um, and I'm really still pissed off with it. <laughs> I seem to remember the first thing I said after the episode finished, uh, when we finished watching it on Friday, was, well, that was certainly some things that happened. <laughs> because that was... <laughs> about what it added up to it was and it's annoying because i don't think i think there was definitely good stuff in there and when we watched it back just we did laugh on occasion but it was a weird like it was me tanya john and joe in the room and as 
John pointed out while we were watching it, there's never been such little attention paid to an episode of Red Dwarf <laughs> when the four of us are in the same room. Uh, but we seem to be against the grain to some extent uh, on this, uh, and it seems that a lot of our regulars and indeed the wider uh, Red Dwarf fandom seem to like it a lot more than we did. Are we wrong or are they? Well, I've seen more than one person put it their favourite of the series. Yeah. Which is madness. I mean, that's just wrong. That's bullshit. But I'm just stating the facts. You're trying to work out why that's the case. Why? 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 Is it it the polymorph? Is it the familiarity? Well, I'll tell you what. Let's, let's, uh, for tradition's sake, as... It's the sixth episode of this failed uh, formula. Let's try and return to it uh, and go through the talking points of this episode uh, to try and get it into some sort of order. And this uh, this episode actually works best with the talking points format because it is just a series of individual things that don't have much bearing on what happens next. So we might as well go through the episode bit by bit, starting with the personality machine, which, yeah, that, that was... That was nothing. That was a waste of time. Sorry, Capsie. Oh, it's all going wrong on the last one. Yeah, it's still more coherent than this episode. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's one of those things. The personality machine. At the time, the scene doesn't stick out as like, oh, this is a bit of a weird setup for a thing that's clearly good. I mean was going to be important but I also thought it was going to be far far more integral to the actual plot rather than just here's a personality machine isn't it yes yes <laughs> here's a personality machine and it is it's literally just going to be forgotten for the entire thing and then not even used properly this Chekhov's gun misfired yes <laughs> it was a Chekhov's gun brought to a knife fight there was no Actual, yeah, it was clearly set up as this is going to be important later, but then it wasn't. Mm. It yeah. was it was entirely incidental to the resolution of the plot, uh, which I know we've just leapt to the end of the episode, <laughs> despite what <laughs> I just said. But it is all relevant because this little section, uh, the entire episode was based on little sections. It's just that this one was split into two, and no reference to it in between. Yeah, and I think the best thing that each little section did, from my point of view, was maybe provide a few good jokes, the, the odd and a nice moment here and there, but that's all they were servicing, that's all they were offering. They weren't actually kind of pulling in fiction. Yes. You're slightly <laughs> uh, wonky connection tonight, Kepsi, so... Uh, it kind of doesn't suit the episode, though, does yeah. it? <laughs> so even the internet can't be asked for <laughs> <laughs> uh, But yeah, it's, I think the biggest crime is just something that I mentioned in the review, so I apologise that I am going to repeat myself today because there's no other way of doing it. But the uh, it's the wasted opportunity of removing Lister's emotions and then that's it. Nothing happens. There's nothing character-based about the emotionless Lister. It leads to one good joke, which is, "Oh, you've removed his emotions already." No, no, it's just yes. Yeah. That that's funny. But yeah, then they do nothing with it at all. And the idea of an amoral Lister stalking Red Dwarf's decks 
yeah. is a really, really interesting one that they do nothing with at all. It's like you could do a whole series of Red Dwarf based around the ideas in this episode. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's there's bits that we'll get onto later where that's the case, but yeah, everything moves on very quickly from one section to the next. And yeah, things are thrown away with gay abandon. Uh uh the un, just on the subject of the personality machine itself, uh, performing monkey left a comment which echoes a bit of what we've said, which is this screams of Doug thinking up a concept and then wondering where shall I use this? Yeah, no, I need something for the first five minutes of the cat episode, so why not? But that sadly was a waste. But yeah, I don't know how much mileage there would have been in it for a full episode, considering, you know, if you use it on Rimmer and take away all his neuroses, then you just get Ace Rimmer. Mm. Yeah. If you use it on Lister and remove all his emotions, then that should be way more interesting than it ends up being. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah, what could you really do with the cat in that? Remove his vanity. And then it ends up being, ironically, a retread of Polymorph if you remove yeah. if you well, remove certain elements. But you characters. see, that's the weird thing, that the machine is, is a mechanical Polymorph. Mm. It's the same idea. It's just that you choose... <laughs> Yeah. To what you remove instead of the polymorph, but it is actually essentially the same idea mm. Mm. as polymorph. So you've yeah. got the same idea twice. Yeah. And one of them's a, it's a retread anyway. <laughs> I mean, it's brilliant, isn't it? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what I liked is that there's absolutely no need for either of them in the episode. No. You could That's you good. could do something you know perfectly uh, decent about the idea of a female cat. Yes, which we'll get to shortly. I think it was possibly doubly disappointing for me because last week I read the Radio Times plot synopsis. Yeah. It turned out to be pretty much all of the plot. Yeah, thanks for that, Radio the Times. Back. <laughs> and then the opening scene being this personality machine, it, I thought, oh, this is really interesting. This is really going to tie in quite, you know, quite tidy with a polymorph. How is this all going to hang together? For me, coming into an episode spoiled. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a lot more than it delivers. You were already pre-anticipating things that weren't delivered. Yep. Uh, okay. Well, talking point two then. Uh, super massive casserole, which I believe is <laughs> Capsi making a reference to. Um, an in joke regarding <laughs> the Muse song Supermassive Black Hole. A Muse song. <laughs> a, a Muse bush. Uh, so, yeah, yeah this. They're, they're not the best talking points I've ever written. <laughs> and you've only done three lots. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, this was the whole section at the beginning, uh, which we can uh, we can lump in the, uh, the Mercenoid stuff in with that as well. It's a really weird setup, the Mercenoid. Because Crichton makes a point that uh, never gets followed up on, uh, which is that mercenoids, uh, they're clearly some sort of uh, equivalent to suicide bombers or martyrs, uh, where they say they believe that they're going to get software upgrades in Silicon Heaven. And then it was never referenced again. That's again. So that's episode two. Of yeah. this hypothetical series yeah. we could have had. Or well, possibly episode three, because before that you've got the vampire gelfs. Yeah. Which, yeah. which I don't know. Like, that 
clearly serves a purpose mentioning the vampire gulps because it brings up the discussion about uh, the cat being a virgin. Uh, but again, it's a weird thing to mention once and then never refer to again, unless unless it's some very clever setup for a series twelve episode where we meet the vampire gulps. But uh, I wouldn't put money on that. that. The vampire gulps are just polymorphs. Yeah. Maybe. Because if that's the legend that's hanging around that sector of space, <clears throat> then it makes sense as a polymorph in prison. So it yeah. could be a fairly clever reference. So yeah, the they're basically that's what they are. They're vampire gelfs. They are gelfs. Or maybe like you know, story that that's been put out to keep people away. Yeah. They are oh, legend yeah. tells of the vampire gelfs. When they yeah, it's because the polymorphs there and it needs to lay eggs or something. Yeah. And so, it, yeah, the vampire gals like vampires seek out virgins. It's just that they don't drink their blood, they just shoot their eggs up them. See, again, though, you're being more interesting than <laughs> in the episode yeah. in this area. Yeah, exactly. Well, yes. I mean, it does It does say that the vampire smells fear, and that's where it drains Listerol. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's totally a polymorph. Have we just made this scene better? <laughs> <laughs> in retrospect. Maybe that was all there well, on the thing, and it's just we haven't... Put it, pieced it together yeah, yet? Yeah, maybe it was there. Maybe it was there. <laughs> maybe we're being kind, <laughs> which is rare. Um, one thing that I don't uh, think has been brought up in the whole discussion about who would be in danger from the vampire gals who seek out virgins. Crichton is surely a virgin, isn't he? Uh, yeah. Um, but then... I think not, because um, what about that line about when he welded his groinal socket to the washing machine? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it counts. That counts. I'm counting. Is, is, is counting. the term virgin even relevant for, well, that's for the thing. a yeah. metanoid? Yes. This is, this so is he perhaps trouble. wouldn't have had the fear pheromone because he wouldn't have considered himself a virgin because he doesn't consider himself and it, well, it sexual Well, it highlights the trouble when you start bringing concepts of uh, ha ha, you're a virgin into, into your sitcom. Yeah. Um, it's fraught with little pitfalls, really. Um, and I, I, it's a bit of a shame because I don't think the cat's virginity is either here nor there. I don't, re- you know, it's not a concern of mine. <laughs> My interest was, oh, a female cat. That's an interesting concept. Which we'll get onto in much the same way that the episode doesn't. <laughs> uh, uh, just a couple of comments to bring up uh, Stephen Bootman says he reckons Crichton shagged the blob Camille and uh, James points out that he fucked Hollister up the arse uh, <laughs> what, James? James fucked yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but then that was, that was a deleted scene so the canonicity of Crichton fucking Hollister up the arse it counts is, is I'm counting it <laughs> but yeah the, the to be fair to the cat, in terms of being a virgin, his entire race are dead and or missing. It's mm. not like it's been <laughs> is in any way a failure, which I guess the episode does point out at the end, but then that was a dream. So did they actually point it out or not? But yeah, it's it's an odd concept. It's shaky ground, really, uh, for a sci-fi show I... to be mocking virgins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you've got to be... It's that old thing where you... If you're doing that stuff, you've got to be a bit careful. And I, I don't quite feel the episode trod carefully enough to make it worthwhile, shall we say. Uh, I think it's, not, it's not anything overtly offensive. I just kind of 
tilt my head slightly and go, really? Are you getting as much out of this to make it worth doing? Yeah, yeah. in terms of plot terms, it, it, it is necessary to establish that he's sexually naive, that he doesn't know yes, what needs to true. happen. It's just the, the gags that are leading up to it. I didn't, it didn't strike me as problematic. It was just a little bit... Do you know what? It, it didn't strike me as problematic so much as not a... I didn't. I didn't. It didn't feel like a particularly pleasant interaction. No, mm. it, it struck me as a bit pointless and a bit weird, um, and it doesn't. As I say, I don't think it matters. <laughs> um, but it's just. I'd, maybe it's to do with the fact that I'm nearly forty and I'm really, really over laughing at the idea of virginity. <laughs> um, and maybe it would mean more to people who are maybe a bit younger or a bit more important to them. Or yeah. um, I just found it a little bit like... Uh, really, I, it, there's a lot of jokes about a concept that doesn't... Is, is, it doesn't matter. And yes, you can... Yeah, most of cats... All a cat's race are supposedly dead, which makes the appearance of a female cat really interesting as an idea and what is interesting is her appearance is not the whether whether cats had sex or not yeah is what I, that's why i got from it do you know what i think it would have been funnier if cats had been if you're going to do all that because i take the point it, it does in plot terms it, it gets you somewhere but if cats had been kind of really paranoid about this virginity stuff and everyone else was just like Matt, we don't care Mm. Don't care. Yeah. I don't think Lister actually needed to do his whole slightly side yeah. good thing. It would have been funnier if Cat had been so paranoid and over the top and no one else had actually given a fuck. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, just moved on. Then that, yeah. I suppose maybe Rimmer should have been the one to do it. Maybe. Because, it, like, Rimmer also has sexuality based hang ups. But he can say he's had sex. Yeah. He can. So he's got one up over Cat. Yeah, so why yeah. isn't he going, well, true. I'm not a bit. Um, well, true. yeah, and there's been jokes about this virginity before, but yeah, it's been done in a, in a way that makes it. It felt very much like ha ha, cat's a virgin, ha ha, cat's a virgin, ha ha, cat's a virgin. Here's another joke. Here's another one. Here's another one. Here's another one. Do you get it yet? Do you get it yet? It's really funny. It's really really funny. Um, and I don't care, uh, people of speaker, if it is character appropriate <laughs> or what. It doesn't matter <laughs> the, 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 what I'm trying to point out is the shit concept that's what I'm saying um, and whether it's kind well, of think very that. slightly <laughs> relevant or not is not it's, it's not think, really there yeah I think the problem is it's not the, the I don't think it's necessarily the concept I think it's the execution I think mm. if the episode was what it was teased as yeah. and it was cat meets an actual female cat mm. and has a whole emotional yeah ex- like a whole experience mm. then then him being a virgin would be a part of that because obviously yeah. you know but it's because they crammed it into mm. this tiny thing and went oh but look he's met a female cat aha no he hasn't oh no we're going to change it now that episode that you were all really looking forward to nope Fuck you. Yeah. Uh, one more thing on the uh, on the supermassive casserole section is I feel we're all straining to get into the next talking point, <laughs> which is about the cast. 
uh, but yeah, so the sequence uh, on board the other ship is part of this uh, section as well. And wouldn't it have been so much better if all the good jokes hadn't been in the trailer? Oh, yeah. It's, a, it's an unavoidable yeah. thing because that is the nature of trailers. You have yeah. to put some jokes in them. But it it seemed like such a, an integral part of the episode that to be able to come to it fresh would it, have been nicer. Do you know what, though? It's, it's also the kind of joke that really relies on the reveal. Yeah. yeah. Some jokes are funny, though. 10th, 50th time you watch them, but that really does rely on a certain level of surprise, yeah. which was totally blown. Yeah, it's because we've seen it a million times. Yeah. They, they sold it. They sold the surprise to get the good reaction for people watching the trailer, I guess. Yeah, sacrificed which, it. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, then they go on board, and there's the old... The old backfiring dictaphone trick, <laughs> which is odd. Um, Ridley made a, a point on the GNT thread saying uh, it was a tad disconcerting that Lister only thought to offer to help the unknown life sign because it might be human. Uh, yeah, well, a lot well, of people it, said he knows that he's maybe... a prisoner at that point. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But Sorry, I think yes. he does specifically say, "What if it's human?" Yeah. Uh, I think the point that Ridley was getting at that was that he should be concerned regardless of its yeah. um, race, its species. Uh, if it's a sentient being, then he should be going for it. But a lot of people were saying he should have said Kachansky at that point. Yeah. Which I think, nah, unless you're actually going to bring Kachansky back, which was the plan during Series 10, then don't bother yeah. mentioning Yeah, there's Kachansky. so many points this series where he should have said Kachansky and he hasn't, so this isn't going to be... Yeah. One of them. Yeah. I don't think we should ever say Kachansky. <laughs> never say never. Yeah. Never. No one she is to stone anyone. Down the river, that one. Yeah, she's... <laughs> it would be weird. At this point, it'd be even weirder to bring her back, considering that this whole series she's not been mentioned. And they've been in stasis and fucked off. And, and not... Yeah. Uh, one was from this section. So the reuse of the costume from the Doctor Who episode... Is it the rings of rings of Akatan? The rings of Akatan. Can we think of a time when Red Dwarf has reused a monster costume anywhere else? Mm, not a monster costume. I was about to immediately say the Golga Frinchin badge from Hitchhikers is part yeah. of Rimmer's uniform and remains so to this day. <laughs> um, the other way around happened when um, a badge from Trojan was used in Doctor Who. Uh, thanks to Howard Good, not Howard Goodall, Howard Burden. The other Howard. The other Howard. <laughs> but yeah, I think thus far, but I might well be wrong. It might there might be one that we don't know about yeah. that has been recycled. But as far as we know, unless someone wants to correct me, I think that is the first recycled monster costume. What a long and dull sentence that was. So <laughs> I did inspire. Right? So <laughs> you can blame I've got, me. I've got a vague memory of the monster in Battlefield. Monster, uh, I've not got onto that part of my Doctor Who rewatch yet, so <laughs> I, I can't help you. Oh, great, that, okay. Oh, no, I must be... James, no, uh, James, sound of a object. James says that the self loathing beast was an unused monster from Doctor Who. Ah, uh, yes, that is. But yeah. Was that design that just the design, or was that actually made? I don't think it was made for Doctor Who, was it? It was just no. designed for Doctor Who, yeah, and then they recall, made it then. for Red Dwarf, yeah. We don't know. We don't know, is the yeah answer. <laughs> uh, so, let's move on to uh, talking point number three. Attention, Lady Cat. Shall we? 
Who wants to go first? Have we not covered all this? Sorry. We may have already covered it. <laughs> um, I liked Lady Cat. I thought I she was good. Oh, same here. Um, and it was really sad when she turned into something else. And <laughs> disappeared. Disappeared, and we didn't get any more jokes about on in that vein because I found I found that idea far more interesting than anything else. And also disappeared before the ad break as well. Yeah, really, early very days. quick. My my main problem with the character is that it was a representation of a cat done in the most basic way possible. Yeah, I, I don't. It couldn't have been more one note, or a, you know, a, you know, step one of here's another cat. Well, character. yeah, uh, that, that's po- probably because there wasn't very much of a. I think that's the point. <laughs> I think that's the thing. You, you get two scenes, yeah. so you only get to step one. Yeah, I think that was the perfect way to introduce her to mm. to like as shorthand. She's a cat. And then you'd expect it to progress and see more scenes and some character development and we learn more about her and we learn how she's not like a normal cat and, and whatever we learn about her, we learn about her. But then those scenes didn't, don't exist. We Do only know, see her for three minutes. Do you know what I keep being reminded of? I keep being reminded of the South Park gag where we were supposed to find out the resolution of Cartman's mum's uh, slut. Yeah. And instead they did Terence and Philip. Yes. Not without, <laughs> Not without my anus, anus. Uh, for the next episode. <laughs> it just keeps reminding me of that. Um I I think Dow's got a good point, uh that they ma- missed a trick um not seeing her shape shift because if they were gonna do it then I think the best way you can do it is to have that on screen. Yeah. But that involves probably maybe more budget than they had. Quite possibly, but it's budget that they did have in 1989, which yes. is quite annoying. Quite. And, and actually, maybe a sign of that, the actual polymorph, when we finally see the polymorph, I didn't think it looked very good. God, you wait, all podcasters talk about the lady cat, and then we skip ahead to talk about <laughs> Sorry, sorry. Um, actually, what, on the lady cat, though, then. Yes. Um, yeah, actually watching it this time, I was surprised by quite how much I enjoyed the performance. Cause I, I enjoyed it more the second time round. I buy, yeah, I buy it in-universe, which may or may not have been the intention that when two cats get together, they act more yes. catty than they would normally do. And like, they the cat starts be to show They kicking the shit out of each other. That's what uh, that depends. <laughs> it depends. No, if it was another male cat. If it, yeah, an, un, an unneutered male cat, yeah. which is what our cat well, is. Well, in that case, something very different would have happened. It's just like immediately, that. yeah. We would have had problems with that if that had happened. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know? Not it's not skipping ahead to any particular thing. I promise, but but <laughs> this um, is a good start. <laughs> but I don't think we would be complaining about the lost potential of the female cat if we'd enjoyed the rest of the episode more. Yeah. But because we didn't get on with the rest of the episode, we're grabbing hold of the bit that we think, oh no, if only it had done that. Yeah. So it's not really the fact we were sold a dummy. It's the fact that we were sold a dummy, and then what we actually got was not to our taste. That yeah. Asclepius has got some lost potential there, and it didn't matter because the rest of the episode served what little time we had with him well. Mm. So you're right. Well, I, I, I mean, I, I, I think I've had particular problems with this through the whole series. Um, suddenly, something interesting, then no, it goes away. Yeah. And you get something which doesn't please me, <laughs> which is obviously awful. Um, yeah, it's it's, a, it, it's I think it's a recurring theme. I don't really know why, because it's odd. I 
but I don't think it shows Red Dwarf um, off to its best. No. And the the weirdest thing about this is that there there's it seems like there's a setup for a scene, a specific one where they talk about let's go on a date, let's arrange a date, let's yeah. go and play the string game. Yeah. It's a in a sitcom. Yeah. If you say if you have two characters say we should go on a date and then don't show it, is that mm. the first time that's ever happened in a sitcom? <laughs> it's, just, it's just the rules, isn't it? Should have had two different dates scheduled at the same time. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Ended up eating two of Lister's massive Sunday dinners. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think I, I think female cat slash polymorph. Um, I think she was massively underused, and I, I understand what um John is saying, but I do find it hard to get past the episode. That could have been. I know what you mean. No, I do know what you mean. Well, that's okay. the thing. If you, if the synopsis and everything in the pre-publicity is this is the episode where we deal with the cat's virginity and where he meets a female cat. Yeah. Then that's kind of <laughs> what you want. <laughs> but you know, this is the thing. When we go back to the and it is a three-parter, by the way, in Doctor Who. When we uh, the Master returns. Yeah. You're sold a really slightly dull episode about future humans. Yes. Being dull, and then you get the Master. Yeah. That's, that's the right way round. That's a good trade off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <You laughs> this isn't the right way round. You don't promise the long awaited the cat meets another cat episode yeah. and then deliver the third instalment of Polymorph. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I yes. think that pretty much sums it up. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, why would you do that? What's the appeal? Yeah. And the thing is, I don't even hate what they've done with Polymorph. I know. I realise I'm skipping ahead. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just ignoring your thoughts completely. I, uh, I wish I had done the same when we come up with the format for this. Um, I don't even hate the concept. I like that they've done something a bit different with it, but it's not what I wanted from this story. Yeah. Mm. That's and it's really hard to get past. Um, and it's not what you do get is not very well executed, which I think is yeah. the big, the big problem with the episode it's lots of little glimpses of oh yes. that's good oh yeah. no maybe not no, yeah no, no. but yeah there, there's so much, uh, lots of promises of good things and then nothing that's nothing that is developed is developed very well because there's too much there yeah uh, and you end up just not being satisfied at all and there is something as well when uh, i'm not saying I'm certainly not saying Red Dwarf, even in the day era, has never done female characters well because you've only got to look at Twentica yeah. to see her. Yes. But there is a certain level of, oh, that's a really interesting female character. Oh, no. you, I want more female characters in Red Dwarf yeah. um, than we get. And so when you actually take one away, it seems to kind of matter slightly more to me than yes. if you um, would did it to a male character. I definitely felt that and I, I and I just I think I was rolling my eyes thinking oh god is this happening again <laughs> and again and um it's it's such a struggle it seems to get female characters that are of, of any interest and then what happens to them is that you know pushed out of airlocks um yeah. <laughs> or you know or they're not female you know not female characters they're, they're something else um and you go, you go through the whole. It's just 
Yeah, I mean, I, actually, I'm in danger of wandering onto another talking point if I carry on. But yeah, it's uh, it feels disappointing. You only got to compare it to Butler last yeah. week, mm. where Butler gets these huge, big dialogue scenes, but are some of the best, some of the best stuff in the series as yeah. well. Mm. It's just frustrating. I think maybe if, um, like, going back to what you were saying earlier, which is admittedly the next talking point, but even I'm doing it now, so fuck it. Uh, <laughs> if you'd have, if we'd have seen more of her as a polymorph, if we'd have been following a bit more of the story from the polymorph's perspective, then yeah. maybe it wouldn't be so problematic because. Like, obviously, the thing is about Red Dwarf is that no character, really, unless it's, um, what's his name? Snacky. Can, <laughs> can stick around. Uh, and so any character has to be disposable in some way. But at least if we'd have seen more, uh, if she'd have been more of a protagonist or an antagonist, and we'd have seen more of it from her perspective, then the inevitable tidying away of the character wouldn't have been um, so much of a problem. But the part of the problem, I think, as well, is that we don't... There's not very much communication with um, the... Uh, what's it? Ma- what's the... <laughs> what's, what's the robot character? Mercenoid. Mercenoid, thank you. Um, that there's no... There's very little communication with the Mercenoid who is trying to get the Red Dwarf crew away yeah. from the Volumorph. Um, <laughs> and they seem really, really, really keen to kill the Mercenoid without actually saying... Hang on, what is that? Why are you wanting us to go away? Yeah. I got, uh, just as a point of order, I got something wrong in my review, which I only noticed from watching it again today. I said, why didn't they just ask the mercenoid at some point, who is your prisoner? <laughs> they do do that via the dictaphone, which he ignores. But still, it relies, the entire premise of the episode relies on the assumption that Crichton would not have checked, yeah. <laughs> like this female cat. Let's just take it, take her as a word that she is a female cat. Like regardless of anything else, she's been she should be in quarantine or something. Surely she's been yeah. found on a prison ship. They shouldn't just take her back to Red Dwarf. But yet again, they are doing the same thing that they've done in previous episodes this series of just going. All right, yeah, that's that must be who you are then. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome on board. We won't question it. It's, this this kind of thing never has never happened before and has never blown up in our faces. What Three could possibly times go series. wrong? Unless the, it was like, wait a minute, are you Einstein? No. Are you are you a snack machine? No. Then welcome on board. See, this is the problem when you've got Crichton, who's supposedly good at this stuff. If it was Holly doing that role, you'd buy. You never yeah. 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 Why didn't you tell her she but, was a polymorph? You never asked. Crichton, yeah. But Crichton yeah. has a certain level of competence, which mm. means this is difficult to explain away. Mm. Yeah. Right. Um, I think that is about half of our talking points covered, but we are still rattled with more. So while we prepare to fire them out of our nearest available orifices, remember that you can still get in touch with us by leaving a comment on Spreaker or tweeting us at Ganymede Titan. But now, here's a few things you may not know about the making of this episode. Ganymede and Titan presents Dwarf Facts. We can now finally reveal that the shambolic, amateurish nature in which we clunkily shift from topic to topic in these dwarf casts has been an elaborate tribute to this episode. The mercenoid costume was previously used in the BBC's flagship sci-fi drama, Crime Traveller. 
Dominique Moore was chosen to play Ankita due to her extremely prominent front teeth, which she developed after she was bitten by a Dracula or something as a child. The documentary voiceover was provided by Sir David Attenborough, who finally makes his Red Dwarf debut after originally auditioning for the part of Lister in 1987. Due to contractual reasons, he is credited here under a pseudonym. In a bizarre reference to Seinfeld, Doug went so far as to place an actual can of worms in every shot in this episode. In order to achieve the polymorph transformation effects, the props team were commissioned to build a series of intricate mechanical models, which physically cycled through the various shapes, sizes and colours required in real time. This cost more than the rest of the series put together. The description of the polymorph reproductive process is actually how Richard Naylor was born. Danny John Jules is 56. The two actresses he appears in bed with at the end of the episode have a combined age of 56. That one's actually true, we just felt we ought to point it out again. The tiny shopping trolley was actually borrowed from the borrowers, but they didn't need it back, so it ended up being thrown into a tiny canal. This is the first episode in the history of Red Dwarf not to feature a cameo from the Newcastle-based actor and musician Jimmy Nail, who sadly died before production was completed. Never forget. Can of Worms was originally meant to join Identity Within and Body Snatcher as a lost episode and never be made. Unfortunately, due to communication issues during production, it was accidentally shot, edited and broadcast without anyone realising. Hashtag Dwarf Facts Ladies and gentlemen, that was the final Dwarf Facts of the series and we apologise for nothing. So, uh, moving straight on, let's carry on with the talking points, because uh, talking point number four is Polymorph 3, Aston Villa, nil. <laughs> <laughs> Which was clearly written by Capsi, unaware of the revolution under Steve Bruce, <laughs> where we are now not no terrible. No aware of that point. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes at the weekend, but th- we're not here to talk about that. Um, we're here to talk about the fact that this is Polymorph 3, which personally, and perhaps controversially amongst this room, I don't have a problem with doing another Polymorph episode. I would probably prefer, in an ideal world, um, entirely new and original concepts throughout, but... Red Dwarf does have this incredibly rich history of interesting concepts that were never fleshed out, um, none more so than in this episode. <laughs> so maybe we do need sequels to this episode in the future. But um, I don't think it's inherently a bad thing to um, to return to elements from the show's past. It all depends on how it's handled. And I liked the fact that in this episode they didn't just do the same thing of having everyone skulking around with elements of their personalities removed or as alter egos f- shooting guns at random objects which is what was in both of the last two mm-hmm. um, but yeah and so they did something different and had uh, the baby polymorph life cycle thing and explored that instead but again as with the rest of the episode the actual implementation of that was very patchy and um, the concepts were not fleshed out and Every time something looked interesting, it stopped, and then a new thing was brought in. I think the slightly weird thing about it is I always think Sirens is kind of like polymorph and a half. Yes. So this more feels like polymorph 3.5, yeah. which is a slightly different prospect to polymorph 3, almost. I don't know. It, I, but I know, like I know what you're saying. And, 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 and actually, the um, uh, hopefully I'm not leaping ahead with this one, but I probably Oh, I don't care at this point. Um, but the, the it led to my favourite um, 
scene in the episode, which was well, my favourite two scenes in the episode, which are Cat's um, seduction description and the ridiculous scene later on with yes. Bert. <laughs> but both of those are based around coming from the polymorph idea. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So actually, yeah, my two favourite scenes stem from the fact this is polymorph three. So. You know, there are probably bigger problems I have with the episode than the fact it's Polymorph 3 yeah. in those terms. Polymorph 3 is mainly disappointing because of what we discussed in the previous talking point, yes. rather than as an idea in Rather than the fact yeah. that it's another Polymorph episode. Yeah, it does fit, yeah. It is perhaps odd, thinking about it, that this is the second sequel to Polymorph when there are other things that haven't had their first sequel yet. Yeah. But then, yeah, like I say, in an ideal world, there wouldn't... I don't know. <laughs> it's, I'm trying to find something positive, and that is that the polymorph concept was used well here. It's just that it's a shame that it wasn't then finished up on and that it replaced something that we'd have preferred. I think that it's used well in the middle section. Uh, it falls apart in the final. It does indeed, yes. Uh, I'm, I'm abandoning the talking points now. Let's just talk about what everyone is talking about. <laughs> like, basically, Sorry. the second half of the... No, it's... It, I, because it all does flow into each other. The talking points for the record were it's Polymorph 3, having kittens, and let's get out there and twat them. So that's all kind it's of... It's all the same yeah. kind yeah. of section. Yeah, yeah. Capsy. <laughs> yeah, really badly written talking points. <laughs> yeah, well, the, ha- the having kittens thing is really... It's a bit of an odd one. I felt... I don't know if insulted is the word. Oh. Um, here, but... I I felt really sort of discomforted by the entire treatment of of the pregnancy and birth. Um, I didn't see much of the pregnancy. Well, no, you didn't. You saw like 30 seconds of it. about 30 seconds of it. It could have been the fifth or sixth uh, full episode that this episode generates. (laughs) Well, Well, it would have been Dad. Well, yeah, yeah, that's exactly. the weird thing. There's more of Dad in this episode almost than of uh, identity with him. I think Doug seems really desperate to get to the scene where things shoot out of Cat's arsehole. <laughs> well, aren't we all? And I was, I, well, okay, but he didn't really need to even be babies or anything like that. So I didn't quite. That it it all seemed a bit. If it was played for big laughs and I didn't really I don't know I don't know how to express this discomfort without sounding like a cunt I just <laughs> don't know how to do it but I it's know that never stopped us before it kind of made me feel uneasy and it, it just I, I found it very difficult to laugh at because it, it was just okay but I think maybe it's the effect of having several good ideas just thrown away Mm. one after another uh, I've got alright I may be projecting and I may be um, I may be are you more discomforted by the fact that you felt it was a disrespect, disrespectful tackling of pregnancy but did you feel that's because Red Dwarf hasn't got much representation of women and femininity in itself so you felt it didn't earn the right to do jokes about pregnancy um, is that what I think saying? that that might be it um and it felt like actually Lister's pregnancy was treated with a lot more respect, bizarrely. <laughs> um, that there was, it was kind of given, given the time it needed to be given. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I think that's probably the the problem, isn't that it? That seems yeah. to be the key. Yeah. Yeah. That's another thing, though. Is again, it's like setting something up and completely just chucking it out of the window. Mm. Um, Lister's been through a pregnancy. 
and yeah. so that was a perfect time yeah. for Kat to have some like emotional I hate the word journey but like <laughs> yeah it's just like some you know, development some development within his character because they've got that <coughs> shared experience of, even though obviously it's slightly different but the actual pregnancy thing you know they both have been through it and also the minor issue of um cat's hormones made him take uh, take care of the polymorphs but his hormones had no issue with him killing them all yes <laughs> which i'm yeah. kind of thinking I think what <laughs> there's a lot of this episode things are explained in adr right <laughs> uh, which is a dialogue that's basically recorded after um, either after the edit or after the first pass of the edit to basically it's used here to explain away things that perhaps weren't clear in the edit the first one is the first noticeable one is during the uh, the birth scene where Crichton says look they're transforming into household objects <laughs> <laughs> because clearly you don't see Crichton's mouth move when that happens no. clearly it's obvious to us what's going on because we know polymorphs but maybe they realise in the edit oh actually if you haven't seen polymorph uh, perhaps as a result, as a side note, uh, Ray Peacock on Rehalistapa podcast about a year ago uh, made a reference to uh, one of the audience recordings on Red Dwarf. He asked the audience if they knew what a polymorph was and no one repl- replied. So this was the episode where there was a notoriously slightly difficult audience for Ray and the um, and the team to work with. That was as a side point. Uh, what we were talking about, ADR. Yeah. So later on... <laughs> In uh, in the the scene in the bowels of the ship uh, where there's multiple everyone's, uh, there's a bit. It's all Crichton, um, and it's mostly ADR of him saying uh, they established that the hormones only affect will only affect him until they're old enough to fend for themselves or mm. big enough to fend for themselves. And then later on, there's a bit of um, ADR of Crichton saying. They've reached full maturity earlier than we expected. <laughs> so if you're really paying attention and you've watched it five times, that makes sense. But but then a mama a mama always knows her kids. But yeah, so why if they didn't have some connection to them, that's, then why? That's, well, that's an, an awful line. An excellent it's example dreadful. of an unearned joke, isn't oh, it? Yeah. I I really hate that line. I hate it for every single reason possible. It doesn't make any sense from a character point of view. It, I hate the phrase, oh, it thinks it's funnier than it is, because that's kind of assuming how funny or how clever something yeah. is. But it feels a bit like this... It feels like the production thinks it's this great line to me, um, and I don't think it is. I, I just just um, Dowell's remark, actually, um, saying that his wife, who's recently given birth found the birth scene the funniest bit of the episode and what i have to say to that is dowie your wife's in totally entitled to her feelings on that scene and i'm entitled to mine and just because we're ladies doesn't mean that we have to think the same thing um come on tanya got to fess up about the lady hive mind lady hive mind <laughs> is that you know it's it's not a thing so <laughs> that's what they that's say. okay <laughs> I'll I'll tell because I do totally get why you've been caught with it. I'll tell you the two reasons why I quite liked it, and I, no way invalidate because you don't have a vagina. Because I don't have a vagina. <laughs> two things. One, I thought they were going to go down the route of some horrible, bloody 
unpleasant scene. Some gory <laughs> so, thing. So, some yeah. gory thing, which Doug does on occasion. I was kind of hoping for that. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, that would have been more respectful to pregnancy and more realistic. <laughs> you see, that would have been more entertaining, um, so then I wouldn't care. I, I would so have I, liked I'm... to have seen Danny John Jewell suffer a prolapse rectum. <laughs> <laughs> But because I'm a wuss, I was pleased we didn't get that. Um, the other reason, and it's just that shot of that toy boat coming out is so fucking ludicrous. It's the the stupidest thing I've seen on Red Dwarf, and I've watched Red Dwarf 8, um, that I enjoyed it purely for its complete utter ludicrousness it's, yeah, yeah it's I, I totally agree I think that, that entire sequence where it's just it's just silly and I just like it when Red Dwarf goes a bit silly like not corny silly but just kind of really comically silly and it's just I don't know it just that, that boat thing was the one that did something for me it was just hilarious it's just so, it's just so stupid <laughs> <laughs> I did quite like that scene like, well well I say like in comparison <laughs> to the rest of the episode um it was yeah it was mildly amusing i mostly um liked the polymorphs changing into different things in the box mm. was like i quite yeah. liked them trying to find something to change into um rubik's cube and it was fine it like i didn't have huge issues with it but that's do you know what? There. Even with the ADR, <laughs> unless you've seen Polymorph, I'm not sure you get really what's going on. <laughs> well, that's a hypothetical situation because how many people watching this will not have seen Polymorph? I mean, you've always yeah. got to, you've always got to cater for yeah. a new audience, and it's a very sensible thing to do. So we just don't, mm. wouldn't want to cut people off. But let's face it, a million people at most uh, are watching these episodes, and of those, they'll have. Most of them have seen some classic Red Dwarf, and if you've seen some classic Red Dwarf, you've probably seen Polymorph. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is, I mean, it's interesting because I, I feel that it's not so. It, it, it all feels like a lot of stuff building up to stuff shooting at a cat's ass. <laughs> I've and, and it almost didn't need to be a Polymorph. Could have been anything. It just, it just long. It felt like Doug sat down and for as long as something shoots out of cat's asshole. In this episode, I'm, I'm cool. It's fine. I'll, I'll think of several things. This is my end game. This is my end game. This is what I'll do. I've got several ideas here. Let's let's run with it. But as long as there's the stuff firing up his assholes, and and I do put in assholes. the lines, multiple assholes. Multiple assholes. So he's got six nipples. How many assholes does he have? Instead um, of a mouth, he's got assholes. four asses. And and um, is but also I. I think someone's always the point is that there is a line that says it can actually come out they can come out of any orifice but they, we don't see any other orifices being used well maybe they came out of his uh, metus we don't know <laughs> <laughs> I'm desperately trying to think of a politically correct term for it but I can't so <laughs> you know the hole on the end of his cock that's <laughs> all uh, and Nick makes a very good point as well in on the Spreaker comment saying that one of the polymorphs should have turned into a cloche. <laughs> cloche. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think at that <laughs> point of the episode, this is a point that I intended to make earlier, but we moved on. Um, you were saying, Tanya, that you just reacted badly to that scene for various reasons. I think at that stage of the episode, um, I think we're all of the same opinion that we were pretty badly disposed to the episode at that point because 
it had already it was like the third or fourth time oh, yes. yeah yes. that that the, they'd moved on quickly to a new concept of that putting mm. the previous one to bed and so every time a new concept came up we we're like oh, what oh, come on <laughs> is this it is this what the episode's about because what is this episode about it's just a series of things that happen well i remember your comparison to dear dave Mm. And it's very dear Davy in terms of yeah. just a series of things that then happens. Then this, then this, then this. Yeah. But if anything, no, I, no, I was going to make an exaggeration. This isn't as bad as dear Dave no. because there are still bits in it that make me laugh, and it doesn't end with Lister calling someone a slag. However, it does end with that scene uh, of Danny John uh, Jules in bed with two women that are literally <laughs> half his age. <laughs> You see, I think what would have fixed the episode is if that, had, <laughs> if that had actually been real and not his dream. I think that would have solved everything. Big shout out to the person on GNT that we are currently mocking. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that would have been problematic on many levels. If that was the case. Because apart from anything else, right? Here's one thing that doesn't work about that scene: uh, when one of the lady cats who's not real, says, uh, doesn't he know that cats always have two homes? That doesn't work because you're in the home that Lister knows about. Yeah. You're in the cat's main room. It's true. The other home is underneath his blanket. He's really, really unimaginative. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and also, I mean, I know it's a dream sequence, but Lister goes and sits on the bed and he'd have been sitting directly on one of the cats. <laughs> <laughs> So is that what cat secretly wants to happen? (laughs) That's true. (laughs) But normally the cat reacts and lets you know that you've sat on it (laughs) quite viciously. (laughs) Don't they, John? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Right, so let's try and... uh, (laughs) I think I might know the answer to this question. Is it shit or is it good? (laughs) I'll go. I don't think it is shit. I don't think it's amongst the worst episodes ever. Um, simply because, in my opinion, uh, and from my position of quite a lot of privilege, it didn't offend me in any way, which other episodes of Red Dwarf have, and so they automatically go lower down the pecking order. But it wasn't a very good episode, and definitely the worst episode of this series, in my opinion, which is why it was a shame that it ended it. Yeah, I yeah, I'd Sorry. go with that. Um, has moments that are genuinely funny, very kind of brief moments, but yes. I mean that on its own puts it above certain other episodes. So yeah, not shit, but not far off. Yeah, I didn't. I I, mean, I don't I don't like saying things are just shit, and bear, bear in mind I really don't. But no, I didn't think it was a good episode of Red Dwarf. I think it was the worst of the series. And I think, crucially as well, this time with Series 10, we were watching the beginning. Yeah, mm. and that was a proper... And that's a proper end to yeah. an episode. And I, I I mean, yeah, no, I'll save that for my small points. But um, <laughs> yeah, I... I by, but certainly by Red Dwarf 11 standards, just shit. Because it's the worst yeah. of the series. Yeah. Um, and really I think we should uh, we should point out again we should do it at the beginning that we are against the grain to some extent with this and a lot yeah. of people even people listening live uh, disagreeing with us which is entirely right and yeah a, a guy said uh, I liked it but I might not be welcome here because I like Dear Dave you are welcome here uh, I've I've lost your name because it's scrolled down but 
don't take that as a, a thing that you're not welcome. Uh, you are welcome, Jack. Really. Yeah, really. Bear in mind that we don't agree amongst ourselves about episode orders yeah, in this series. It is, it is rare that uh, the five or six of us uh, have the same opinion on a Red Dwarf episode. But yes. this this yeah. seems to be the one. And so it, it does lead to a rather one-sided podcast, but fuck it. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I, yes, I, I think it was um, not not very good. Um, simply because it didn't hang together uh, in terms of plot. You've got a device that is used but for no good reason and leads you leads you down a blind alley, which is bizarre. Um, and also has 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 yeah the wastage of several really good ideas, which is just annoying. Yeah. To more than anything else, and I don't know whether you know, as a long-term fan, it's more annoying, perhaps, uh, than the casual viewer. But then there, there aren't any casual viewers listening to this. <laughs> let's face it. No, not listening to this. <laughs> um, so it doesn't matter. But uh, yeah, I, I, it's a really duff end to a series that's um, been at least fifty percent good. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, my percentage of good is larger than that, but we are going to get onto a little bit of a series eleven roundup a bit later on. So, for now, that was the last big talking point of the series. Uh, however, I am still thirsty for some small points, i.e., any little bits and bobs relating to can of worms that we've not yet covered. Uh, you can thrust your small points our way by commenting on Spreaker or tweeting at Ganymede Titan, and we'll be right back after these messages. I'm Craig Charles, and these are the biggest funk and soul classics of all time. 60 massive party starters, handpicked from my very own trunk of funk. Craig Charles Funk and Soul Classics, the new album. Somewhere deep in space. I'm all alone. You got me? I'm all alone except for the cat. You've got me too, sir. Okay, I'm all alone except for the cat in Crichton. What about me? All right, I'm all alone except for the cat, Crichton, Rimmer, and the millions of Australians that tune in to watch us every week on ABC TV. There's space for everyone on Red Dwarf, Wednesdays at 10. Biggie as good as new. So, Nev, you've had Anglian windows fitted then, eh? Certainly have, Thomas. I give them six months, sir. Ah, well, that's where you're wrong, Thomas. Anglian give a simple ten-year, no-quibble guarantee. Guarantee? I doubt they'd give a guarantee worth the paper it's printed on. More chance of my Gloria running off with a milkman. Wrong again, Thomas. That's got a bit of poke, Nev. You can trust Anglian without a doubt, Thomas. Excellent news. Red Dwarf 11 The Game has finally landed. Available to download on tablet and mobile from the 22nd of September. Plus, to get all the latest official Red Dwarf merchandise, just go to shop.reddwarf.co.uk now. Wake up, Commander. Wake up, Commander. What? Time for bed. Don't forget, clean your teeth and wash behind your ears. Try this. 
New McLean's whitening. The advanced formulation helps fight plaque and used daily gently restores whiteness too. Look. <laughs> You're a computer. Oh, never heard of computer dating. Don't wait up. New McLean's whitening for a brighter, whiter future. Danger. Do not attempt to open this part. Generations of Time Lords have battled to contain the galaxy's most fearsome forces of evil. Exterminate! Exterminate! But the pod in which they are held is breaking up, and time capsules known as home videos are being released into the Earth's atmosphere. The Daleks will go on! It is your duty as a citizen of this solar system to track down these capsules and neutralize them through your VCR. Many modules are already circulating, and further releases are imminent. You have the power to protect your universe. Welcome to the final part of the final live dwarf cast of this series. And I don't know about anyone else, but I think we should get this party started with a shitload of small points. Who wants to start? I want to start, because I will forget. Okay. Um, my small point is I really wish they'd swapped around Can of Worms and Crisis uh, in this series, because then you would put Can of Worms fifth, the traditional poor episode slot, <laughs> and then you would have Crisis last, which not only is a far stronger character piece and good to end the series on, but also that weird talking to the universe thing might accidentally have some kind of mythic quality yeah. to end the series with and feel slightly more... It, had, it, it hadn't occurred to me until you mentioned it earlier. Yeah, I'd kind of... Crisis is out there. It's like, there's no doubt about that. But the concept of that being used as the finale hadn't occurred to me until you mentioned it, and it actually makes sense. Because if you're going to do one that's a bit out there and a bit weird, then that's that's a good point, one to put so out last. How, how many years is it until I finally made a good point? <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> it only took 14 and a half years. years. <laughs> um, and I, oh, I really want just want kind of worms put away in an episode slot I can dismiss it entirely it's really annoying it's the last episode I hate the fact it's the last episode in the series it drives me mad it's only the fact that you've got Red Dwarf 12 coming next year just imagine if we hadn't got Red Dwarf 12 coming and can of worms was the final episode yeah that would be dreadful uh Capsi I believe you also have a small point I, I, I do it might be fairly limp (laughs) <laughs> and malformed, but but it does um, the job. This, if we're taking this to be polymorph three, that me that means all three of the polymorph episodes have also had quite strong um, uh, sexual element to each of them. <laughs> so you have the boxer shot scene from the first one. You have uh, Lister being thoroughly sexed by um, <laughs> uh, a girl, and then uh, this one is self-explanatory. So there you go. And small points about small points. And really? Sirens has Pete Tranter's sister. <laughs> no well, comment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't think of a joke that's remotely respectful, so I'll be fine. <laughs> it's all fine. It's all fine. Um, yeah, and by the way, the sexual elements are one of my favourite bands of all time. Um, I have... Uh, Joe has a small point. Oh, um... My small point, I have two small points, but they are both very small, so it's <laughs> fine. Um, <Tits. laughs> 
<laughs> one was one of the jokes that actually made me laugh <laughs> in the episode, which was um, Rimmer saying, um, no, they're Kinder Eggs. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, which was actually very funny and made me laugh. Um, and also um, Crichton sitting on the screwdriver. Yes. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> Yeah, I like that joke especially because it did feel like Doug taking a piss out of his own overuse in Series 7. Yes. Of Acknowledging, yeah. That joke. yeah so we I, moaned about that quite a lot yeah. <laughs> over the years. So, no, I, I like that one as well. Uh, my small point relates to a joke that I don't like, uh, which is uh, a really weird mention later. I can't even remember the full context, but it's about they look really old or something, like the Rolling Stones. Yeah. I can't remember the, the full context. No, uh, it's everyone's cute when they're first born. Like, velociraptors are, uh, yeah. are cute. Uh, the Rolling Stones, which is, is so, unnecessary. Yeah. My point relating to that is that from Crichton's perspective, uh, the Rolling Stones, from the moment he was created, had been dead for <laughs> hundreds of years. And so it's a really mean joke. It's not a joke about... <laughs> it's not a joke about these people look old. They died, man. <laughs> it's really bad taste on, on Crichton's part. But, you know, comedy is, um, you know, pain plus time. Yeah. So it's yeah. like three minutes a year. It's far. really fucking funny. It's gone that far. They could have probably started doing Diana jokes and not being booed at that point. So are you saying Red Dwarf 12 should have a Diana joke? Is that what you're Definitely. Saying? Right, good. Um, it's interesting, actually, uh, that I've, I've just fought back to Tika's a Ride, where um, he does the uh, duck joke, doesn't he? Stands on the grassy. Oh no, it's not Ticket to Ride. I'm sorry. Which one was it? Uh, time slide. Time slide. Stand behind the grassy knoll and shout duck. Duck. Uh, and it's actually there as a bad taste joke, which he apologises for. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, time has passed time certainly has passed. since Kennedy's assassination. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting hearing the audience reaction to that line actually before the bypassed my good taste chip. Yeah, but that was series three. Yes. Um, we've got some small points from the internet. Uh, Jonathan F. Young, aka John's Mad, says, "Identity within storyboard or this? Which would you keep if one had to be destroyed? <laughs> so, would you rather have a full episode of Red Dwarf that isn't very good, or the, or a storyboard episode of Red Dwarf that isn't, isn't very, very good? good. Yeah. <laughs> the the snag with Identity Within is that the script itself isn't the best, which." In fairness to the script, it was a first draft, etc. All the things that I said when I illegally put it on the internet 12 years ago. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you'd have said Body Snatcher, then I would have, I would not sacrifice Body Snatcher for I this. Agree. Yes. Which sounds really fucking ungrateful, <laughs> considering <laughs> we're having brand new episodes of our favourite show made for us. <laughs> they destroy them! But you see, Body Snatcher has that bit where the wig gets delivered, which is one of my <laughs> favourite Red Dwarfs of all, uh, jokes of all time. Even if it's just in storyboard form. Uh, another small point. Stephen Bootman says, does Crichton really need a coat? Uh, by that token, does Rimmer, uh, which is something that I stole from Tanya, which he said during the ad break. <laughs> uh, but I think um, they needed to wear their coats because they were on their way to perform as an E17 tribute act. <laughs> and so they had dressed up in the costumes from the Stay Another Day video. Is the joke I'm making. Uh, a small point from Andy Holland. Craig Charles's smile shines through again as he looks over towards the cat and Starbuck. I've loved these in Eleven. There's been a few where Craig Charles does Craig Charles or Lister does a little smile, and it's up to the viewer to interpret whether that's 
an intentional piece of character work or Craig Charles Corting. <laughs> <laughs> There's often moments where they're kind of riding a laugh. I can remember one in Twentacle in particular where they're riding a laugh and he's waiting for the laugh to die down and he just does a little oh, look at him, <laughs> uh, like quite cute look towards the cat, which makes me think that maybe Tumblr are focusing in the wrong direction. Blistering <laughs> cat is the theme. Uh, oh, I just realised I've stolen a small point. Uh, Tim Shaw made a joke with those coats borrowed from E17, uh, which he said before I said mine, but I've only just read it. Uh, Clem uh, says... You know, you've just stolen Nick's small point, that you stole your small point from Tim Shaw. Oh, shit. Oh, you <laughs> were stealing points all over the place. <laughs> Singing. Well, we and actually, tying all this back in, I think one of my friends lost his virginity to stay another day. Oh. So there you go. Is it Brian Harvey? <laughs> Uh, too many baked potatoes. <laughs> fucking loads of baked potatoes. Uh, Clem has a small point. I just realised, how long is the end of the day? Is it three and a half minutes? Yeah. That's not good. Carry on. <laughs> uh, Clem's small point. Uh, the universe having the voice of Morgan Freeman, fine. Attenborough voiceover on the Nature documentary, no. I, I like that scene. <laughs> I think I my opinion is the exact opposite of that. I was fine with the Attenborough one. And yeah. the Morgan Freeman one just struck me as a bit weird. I was surprised that didn't get more reaction from the audience to Attenborough scene because I enjoyed that and I enjoyed filling in the gaps in my head as to what we were supposed to be seeing. And mm. it got virtually nothing from the audience as well, which was, I thought, a bit odd. Uh, Daryl Jones has a genuine small point. Is <laughs> This is his words, not mine. Is Daniel Barker a main cast member? No. No. But he has been in four episodes in a row, which is quite it's, remarkable. Yeah. Uh, Daryl has been just, kind of... you know, convenient for the production. Yes, yes, mainly that. Uh, Daryl's been kind of charting them on, uh, on G&T as they've happened, and yeah, he's surpassed all kinds of previous bests of... Like, he's up there now with four guest appearances in a row. He's, you know, he's one of the most widely used guest characters in, guest actors in Red Dwarf. It was, yeah. which of the two, because he's in uh, episode three onwards, so he's not in Samsara or Twentica, and they were the last two recorded, weren't they? So maybe he was, he must have been there for the first four weeks of production, yeah. and maybe he had something else on for the last two weeks, and then maybe he would have been in all six. It's weird. Wasn't Daniel so back a part of that out of that round table yes. script reading? Yeah, the the one of the first photos we got, which was a shot of an empty table, uh, but we zoomed in and found all the names that were on the nameplates. Yeah, and uh, yeah. his was one of them. Uh, that's kind of weird. That's Samsara, that Samsara and Twentico are the last two recorded, mm. and they were the first two shown. Yeah, I would quite like to watch them in the order they were recorded and see if this episode sits a little better with me. Mm. What well, order it was, was it? What it was the position was it? Second. Second. Yes, it was the second. It was whichever one was recorded my birthday weekend because I couldn't go. <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah, it was the second episode, I believe, but I might be wrong. Um another small point, uh Curtis Threadgold says, uh I like how Danny John Jules has retweeted all the tweets that said he was the best. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hashtag Bucky. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hashtag Unlikely Bikers, Granddad. <laughs> um, 
There, there's probably more small points, but uh, we probably need to move on. And I'm scrolling in the wrong direction anyway. Uh, but there is a small point uh, from earlier in the week that Manny 506, the 506th of the Mannies, uh, left on <laughs> on one of our articles. During the scene where Lister is move, moving the cute polymorphs, Crichton looks remarkably similar to how he does on the Smegazine issue with the Geep. Uh, which, if you're familiar with the Smegazines as I am, is a very funny uh, observation. Uh, but if you're not, then it's not. <laughs> there's a smegazine uh, cover. Uh, it's yeah. There's in fact wasn't the Geep. Uh, it was a comic strip. Uh, one of the original comic strips, the Geep. It was a polymorph, I think, or some sort of shapeshifter, uh, where there was a, a cute rabbit um, that turned out to be evil. Um, and yeah, the cover of it is Crichton holding it up, and yeah, it looks very similar. So this isn't Polymorph 3.5, it's Polymorph what? How many well, Polymorph I mean, stories did they do? They did shitloads of Polymorph stories Polymorph in magazines. Yeah, but, you know, dubious. And Better Than Life, the novel, is a Polymorph story Job. in parts as well. Fucking hell. Yeah. I ate Red Dwarf. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we'll move on. Uh, stop talking about this episode specifically and start talking about some other stuff because we ought to mention the quite remarkable jaw-dropping thing that's happened in the world of Red Dwarf <coughs> this week uh, which was Daryl Jones who's with us in the chat room tonight discovered and he is the first person he, he makes the claim I've heard that he's the first person ever to have found this and that's, that's definitely him saying that it is that's very big headed of him actually. he's a terrible person he's very conceited about this whole thing what an egotistical maniac was that Daryl 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 <laughs> with his eagle ears. Yes, uh, I should actually explain what's going on. Otherwise, we'll have to. <laughs> no, don't. Just we'll have on. to ADR this bit later to for any casual viewers. Uh, but yeah, uh, it turns out that um, hidden deep in the mix of the theme tune, uh, the opening theme tune, is Howard Goodall singing the words Red Dwarf through a vocoder, um, which. Uh, not many people noticed. Some people did, uh, evidently, and have been pointing it out. Uh, but yeah, when Darren, uh, sorry, <laughs> that's your fault. When Daryl, <laughs> when Daryl posted it on GNT, uh, it started to to spread a little bit, especially when he found the uh, the video where it was a little bit clearer on YouTube, um, and it got picked up by good websites such as Mental Floss and awful websites such as Digital Spy. Oh. And middling websites such as Chortle, who got most of the facts right, but not all of them. And yeah, we've been. <laughs> some of those uh, articles got some of the facts right, and uh, most of them didn't. My, my, my favourite thing about the Digital Spy piece was when they said the lyrics were underneath the lyrics. Yes. <laughs> so they didn't even get that it was the opening theme. They didn't watch the fucking video and, and, that they uh, linked to. Proved by the fact that they said, oh, it comes in at the 20 seconds mark. No, it comes in at the 14 second mark. You literally can't hear what you're writing about, you fucking cunt. <laughs> you can read more of John's reaction to that over on DirtyFeed.org. <laughs> you literally can. Uh, but yeah, um, in the meantime, um, our very own audio whiz, Danny Stevenson, uh, who should be seated alongside me. Oh, he's close. Yes, there you go. Like a like a shooting star joke. Uh, Danny did some further tinkering uh, with theme tune this week to try and produce a, an even clearer version. So, Danny, uh, I'll be playing it in shortly, but do you want to cue it up by telling us what you've done? 
Uh, well, basically, similar to how uh, Daryl found the, the thing, which is like you take the left-hand channel, you invert it, and you play on top of the right-hand channel, and it leaves you with what should be the centre channel. So it's where most vocals are usually placed in the centre channel. So most uh, most instruments are pan left and right, but the vocals are, tend to be in the middle. But in audition, what you can also do is you can also tweak the frequency spectrum around, so you can kind of pick the frequency spectrum you want to pick out. And the interesting thing about the clip you're going to play, it doesn't just have, you can isolate different instruments by doing that. So you can kind of, so I think this one, you should be able to hear the uh, the really deep piano as well. Yeah. And isolation, kind of more, and, and a couple of the horns as well, just kind of nice. I might play about, a bit, about with the theme a bit more and see if you can isolate some more instruments and do a bit of a, a thing on it. But yeah, that's what's so I tried to pick out the vocoding bit as close as possible. There's probably, if give me more time, I might be able to get a better version, but that's the, the best of getting the time I had. So yeah, uh, enjoy this um, 35 seconds of a very weird sounding uh, Red Dwarf theme tune because towards the end you can really clearly hear the lyrics, so enjoy. So yeah, the theme tune though, it has lyrics now. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> it, it's really interesting for me. I needed to hear one of those uh, the, sort of the doctored version to kind of really point it out to me. But as, as soon as I heard that, then the 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 actual real version now it sticks out. That it's yeah. unbelievable. It's like someone has broken my brain <laughs> it, it's like you know when you when you when your ears pop and you realize how well you couldn't hear before and all of a sudden it's like it's it's like that it's like all of a sudden i i just can't i'm i'm really 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 annoyed i didn't know about this <laughs> it's not that it's the fact that they're just because has had a precedent of hiding things in his music like hiding uh, Latin in yeah. Mr. Bean that <clears> says, Here is a behold the man for he is a bean, and writing part one and end of part one and part two in Latin. In his credits, he goes the extra level of effort just for the sake of a joke, and he hides Morse code in the QI theme tune. And it's like, and why the fuck did we think to look for this stuff? Well, yes, Danny. Come How on. many times have you heard that music, Danny? <laughs> why didn't you think to check this, Danny? Come on, explain I yourself. I don't, I don't know. I have no answer yeah. for you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and all these people where it's been obvious for them for years. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, they didn't tell anyone because obviously it's a secret. But I mean, yeah, obviously everyone else knows that there's me saying Red Dwarf in there and it wouldn't have been worth pointing out at any uh, point. Uh, it's just mental. I'll tell you what, 27 years? what, what I love crazy. about it as well is that it's the kind of thing that Howard, you would think, would have brought up in an interview <laughs> yeah. at some point. Now, actually, yeah. I'm presuming he just forgot. That was what I thought, yeah, yeah. That when it was yeah. pointed out to him on Twitter, but, uh, he went, oh, fuck, yeah, I did do that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, you know, you'd think yeah. it was going to come up, um, which DVD off, was settling the score Yeah, uh, Series 6 DVD settling yeah, the score. Yeah, you'd think it would have come up with that. I, I presume it, he just wasn't 
just didn't didn't remember. Or maybe evil. he did mention it at that point, and evil Andrew Ellard decided yeah. to keep it. Uh, well, you see, if all the rushes for the special features have been released, <laughs> just the rushes, <laughs> the thirty disc box set, just the rushes, was sadly <laughs> destroyed in the uh, in the riots. Hashtag dwarf facts. Is actually that the actual master multi-track is lost in the archives of yes. the BBC, but it's there somewhere. Yeah. It's like like the end of Indiana Jones. Instead, they said it's not an area fucking fifty-one. Uh, right, that's the theme tune covered. Uh, so it's quite possible that after this revelation, Red Dwarf will never be the same again. So while we still can, let's take a very brief look back <coughs> at the series as a whole. And in very broad terms, was it better or worse than series 10? <laughs> uh, the thing is, I'm asking that question after kind of worms when last yes. series we got the beginning. Yes. So let's remember that we're talking about one episode here yeah. rather than a series. Because yeah. right now I'm just annoyed. Right. Okay. Well, we are. I yeah. think eleven. I, I think, feel all. <laughs> I think eleven is better than ten, just about. So do I. I think it doesn't quite hit the heights of ten. I think ten has better individual moments. Uh, certainly better individual episodes. I don't think that a single episode of eleven was better than uh, lemons, for instance, at this yeah. stage. And my opinions may change over time. Um, but it, at its worst, it wasn't as bad as series ten at its worst because it didn't have Tom and Tony, it didn't have anyone being pushed out of an airlock, and it didn't have anyone being called slugs. So <laughs> I think, yeah, I think overall it is stronger. Um, I'm, I come away from it ever so slightly disappointed that it didn't quite hit those heights, but uh, my opinions on it are still very raw. Uh, I think that. Uh, for a start, I need to watch Twentica again because I watched Twentica and was really disappointed. But I belatedly realised this is because I was coming down with pneumonia yes. when I was watching it. So I may not have been at my best. But when Lister was coming down with pneumonia, he was really enjoying that video yeah, that, that he ter- watched. Yeah, terrible. <laughs> um, I, I actually think Series 11 is better. I think Officer Rimmer has a lot to do with that because I enjoyed so much of Officer Rimmer that it kind of bumps up the series average for me quite substantially. Mm. Um, but I actually don't quite know. I need to... I think it need, it does need a rewatch. Um, I think, oddly, it feels like Series 10's strengths aren't Series 11's strengths and mm. vice versa. They feel quite... They feel very different, and I, I think... I think there's things that 11 gets right that 10 doesn't, and vice versa, and I... It's kind of like the series seven and eight situation. You almost wish there was a series where in the everything middle. yeah was right. And but then it's be grateful that there isn't one where everything is wrong, apart from series eight. Yes, I, I think think maybe Doug likes to keep that sort of balance. That, so, okay, I'll, I'll make this series good in this way and, and, that, and that way, and, oh, and I'll change it around just to just keep things interesting. I think for me, like eleven is hand is very much my mind just because hold on can... <laughs> we, we, we lost the adjective <laughs> we don't know what you think it is in your mind start again <laughs> I'm going to leave that, I'm gonna leave that uh, as a mystery no it's much better than 10 better okay yeah um, because I, I could 11 
I don't have any bits where I'd have to um, close my ears for a, a short while, or you know, ironic. you know what I mean. I can I just comfortably watch Eleven and think this is pleasingly reminiscent of the show that I love, or it's you know close enough to the show that I love, and Ten veers off too too often into kind of like painful territory, and I don't think Eleven ever does that. Yeah, Eleven certainly <clears throat> has, for the most part with Can of Worms being massively an exception, it has tighter plots than Series 10 does. Most episodes of it of Eleven tell one story from start to finish without any weird uh, irrelevant bits at the start or any B-plots or any running jokes that aren't quite matching yes, with the rest of the episode I'd, in the same I'd way agree that Ten does. Yeah, I think it... That's one thing I was thinking actually earlier in the series. Thing, God, there's something that makes sense from start to finish. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. It can't always be taken as a given. No. A no give, given taken. <laughs> I I am reminded of what we were talking about earlier in the series about uh, episode beginnings and episode endings. Yeah. And episode beginnings in general are better in Red Dwarf Eleven. The, the, the long, extraneous scenes that aren't particularly mm. relevant are gone. And endings are very different, but not necessarily better than Red Dwarf 10, mm. as I think is exactly what you said. And it feels to me like some of the weird endings this series are a reaction to some of the extended, long, boring endings in series um, 10. I, I feel it most with Samsara. Samsara had a very odd ending, mm. but I looked at it and I think, well suggestions for what you do with that ending what i going back to the monopoly thing i don't want to go back to the monopoly thing because i could write that i could write the tag scene with Mon- monopoly mm. it'd be shit but it wouldn't necessarily be that much shitter than a series 10 <laughs> tag. um so what it looks like to me with that is it looks like doug no proof, but it just looks like Doug looking and tr- reacting against 10 in terms of the oh, the yeah. endings or maybe just thinking Okay, I, I think I've come to the end of this episode. I've said all that I need to say. I'll just move on and yeah. and roll credits. And, and sometimes that can be fine, and sometimes it's quite jarring. And I think Officer Rim is the worst offender yeah, for absolutely. a jarring ending. But yeah, we we talked about that a lot two weeks ago. <laughs> um, so briefly, what's everyone's favourite and least favourite? Well, can we assume that everyone's least favourite episode is kind of Worms and move on from that bit? Anyone yes. anyone disagree? I'm going to disagree. I'm going to say Ooh. I genuinely disagree, and you're going to hate me, John, but my least favourite was Officer Rim. Ah, fuck off. Oh. It really fuck was. Off. It really was. Look, yeah. Officer Rimmer has that amazing bit with one of the Rimmers walking into the club and sticking his hands up as though to go, OK, and that is my favourite moment of the entire series. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying... The thing is, it's really hard to call because I genuinely think all these, these episodes have been really good and i just think that like kind of worms officer room is like at the bottom of the pile for me but where, where they actually stand in between each other i find it really difficult because there's still there's still there's some really good points in both episodes it's just that officer river ends weirdly and kind of worms is weird yeah. so <laughs> it do you know what i mean it's like they're, they're, they're both not they're both still not particularly strong in their do you know what i mean well I, I'm, um, I'm in a similar position Danny, uh, in that I, Officer Rimmer's probably my favourite, uh, and then it's uh, probably Crisis, then Twentica, and the other three are just whatever. <laughs> See, I, I kind of... It's really weird, because give and take, I would put toward the top, and then it would be, like, to the given... It's almost like everything has a pairing, so give and take and Crisis is at the top for me, 
and then in the middle it's Tonika and Samsara, and then at the bottom it's Officer Rimmer and. I to, to, sorry, to be fair, I'm exactly the same as you with Officer Rimmer in that I wonder whether Give and Take is my least favourite. So, which I know is a very unpopular opinion, but it's, it's really, interesting it's, it's how extreme that difference very is. Very drastically different opinions about it. Yeah. I agree with Danny that you can split the these six episodes into pairs, uh, and for me those pairs are very very good episodes, which are for me Twentica and Give and Take, uh, episodes that are mostly good but have a few weird things in them, Officer Rimmer and Crisis, and ones that I'm not so keen on, Samsara and uh, Can of Worms, which annoyingly are the two that I've reviewed for GNT. <laughs> <laughs> so my w- words on the website are not reflective of the of my views on the series as a whole. But having said that, the more I think about Crisis, I think it might even be move. It might be moving up every time I rewatch it and every time I kind of revisit mm. it. Uh, but yeah, it's all still up in the air. I I'm kind of the same. I've got the the the, the three times two formula. So it's uh, least favorite can of worms, give and take. Middle samsara, um, and um, uh, blah, 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 blah. uh, top officer rimmer, and um, I think crisis. So the middle is. What did I miss saying? <laughs> Twentica. yeah. Um, but it's interesting because that's exactly the formula Series 10 had when we were working at our least favourite middle top. It all we, it also seemed to separate into yeah. twin twin episodes. The twin dilemma. But I think we mostly agreed with our twin episodes in Series 10. Yes. And that is not the case. And now we're all over the shop, both within our little team and the wider Red Dwarf community. No one agrees on anything. Which so, is kind of fascinating. Yeah, and it's good because it means we've still got plenty to talk about over the next year while we wait for the next series. But you see, it's weird because I, I was reading Cooked and Bombs and I thought we all agreed with... Yes. With <laughs> <things>. <laughs> and we're uniformly praiseworthy of the series. Well, either, depending on who you read, we either um, gush over the series too much and forgive all its faults, or we're massively hypercritical. <laughs> yeah, you're a little And just, just like the BBC, we're probably getting it right. Yes. <laughs> we're biased for the episodes that you like against the episodes that you dislike. <laughs> or the other way around, whatever it is. I don't know. <laughs> so, um, who hasn't said what their favourite episode is? You. I haven't. Um, because you. I'm not sure which my favourite episode is, but it would be Give and Take or Twentica. Um, my least favourite is Kind of Worms because Done. it's Is there any other business on this, the last live dwarf cast of 2016? I feel like I want to do some extended defence of Samsara, despite the fact I didn't think it was very good. <laughs> But I'll save that. Well, yeah, for our uh, save that for another time. For our other time. Well, what we'll because do... bear in mind, I was on some quite heavy drugs when I watched that <laughs> yeah. and it needs a rewatch under normal well, circumstances. Well, maybe you'll yeah, be disappointed. Lots of morphine, lots of morphine involved. I can I just say it's amazing having morphine where you actually just press a button and you get morphine. It's <laughs> absolutely amazing. I recommend it to everyone. <laughs> You have to put a little M on your head when you get a helicopter landing. 
Well, I think what we'll do then is that we will return to this uh, Series 11 discussion in much more detail when we get together for our next Dwarfcast, which will be a semi-retrospective look back at Series 11 in a few weeks slash months' time, uh, whenever we can get as many of us together as possible. Uh, We'll also, in the coming weeks and months, be covering the forthcoming Blu-ray slash DVD release, any and all updates to the Red Dwarf game, which we're still waiting for the uh, second episode of. <laughs> uh, we'll be taking a closer look at some of the recent merchandise and generally continuing our uniquely irritating brand of bollocking on about all things Dwarf while we wait for the build-up to Series 12 to begin. Uh, thank you to everyone who listened live, uh, both tonight and over the last six weeks, and indeed to everyone who's listened not live. It's been difficult at times, uh, what with the UK TV plaything, the increased trickiness of uh, juggling Red Dwarf with real life, and John Hoare nearly dying. Uh, but it really has all been worth it to see the comments coming in during every Dwarfcast, and to see G&T buzzing with activity every time a new episode has been released, so thank you all. But now, it's time to say goodbye. And, as they always say, finish on a song. I am four of twenty-seven. Who do you think I am? Three of sixty-three. You're nothing like him. Brighton couldn't be more fried. There was a Mars bar living in Scotland. Pizza delivery. You want a pizza now? Harmony de Gutierre. Are whom acquainted with said lady? I wear a tweed suit and sensible shoes if that revs up your engine. We're here for something else. Hey, I don't do the big bang. That's Beryl. I am Bob the Bump. You want to know if I can get this potato into this potato. Did someone say my name? Don't say anything. We're good now. I've been rolling in smeg my whole damn life. Don't lecture me about smeg rolling. Twister is a three-player game. Everyone here is just waded right in. Wait your turn, buddy. Formica is a heat-resistant, white-clean plastic laminate. They gave him a special hat to wear at night to cover up the bruising. They gave him a knighthood. Don't be nice to me! It's time to Sei lontana, sogno all'orizzonte, manca le parole. There's a folder in here marked Captain Bollocks. Ah, Mrs. Robertson, we're ready to start your procedure now. But when I woke up in the morning, she was gone. And so was the lettuce. I'm a snack machine. And there's a number with a Milton Keynes dialing code. Your past self is calling for the lift. Ignore him, he's an idiot. Time to say My face has been printed on the top of my head. 
Any advice? Don't wear a hat! Facial mist for you, sir. And we look forward to going down with you again soon. That's a hell of a ceiling you got, Rilla. The lattice works stunning. A hundred dollar pounds and half a packet of fags. You got a pen? Always have a pen. What is the point in cleaning above eye level? Do you know what a midlife crisis is? Sure, Dooski. Breakthrough medical cures is a hobby of mine. Do you dabble in medical science? Equihecte! Is that you? Ma! Ma! No, ma! Ma! Wait, I'm gonna die? What a very strange day. Hang on a minute, are you? No, never really. Don't even say it! Incidentally, that's mine, that's mine. Play the string game! I love the string game! <laughs> She just released her gushy tadpole stuff down her pipe. Rattled with polymorphs. A hedgehog in a top hat sitting inside a mini shopping trolley. My mama always knows her kids. Ed bye, everybody. Ed, Ed bye. Ed bye. Thank you for listening to GNT Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye.